Our gracious God, we thank you that you have allowed us to gather together this morning and to open up your word together and to be reminded of the great gift it is in our lives. We ask that you would guide us, convict us, encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to depend more and more upon you, knowing that you are good and you are always right. We pray this through Christ our Savior. May his name be praised. Amen. Okay. So here's my question as we get started. What is the greatest threat to your faithfulness to God? Uh, What is it that is most likely to draw you away from truth, obedience, devotion to God? What is that greatest threat? What do you guys think? What's the greatest danger to your faith? Okay. I'm glad we're here. They're really stumped. Let me let me read a couple of Bible verses that might help you to answer that. Um James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Or Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay, you know that one. Or Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is desperately wicked or deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay. So what's the greatest threat to your faith, your obedience, your devotion? Our own hearts. Our own hearts. That's right. Uh That is our greatest threat. That is our greatest danger. It's not out there. It's in here. And uh, today we want to talk about what God has given us to keep us from following our own heart down dangerous paths. Um, What has God given us to help us, to, to guard us from following our own hearts down dangerous paths? So a few weeks back, I started a series when Pastor Isaac's out of town like he is today. Uh, when he's in town, he's doing his series on uh, covenant theology. And But when he's gone, uh, either filling a pulpit in another church or like this week he's on vacation, we are looking at a, a series called Doctrine in Real Life. Uh, I told you, I forgot to bring it last time, that I'm loose, well, I'm basing it off of this book by uh, Paul David Tripp called Do You Believe? Uh, So, neat book. Uh, And his goal in this is to say, okay, we talk about these doctrines a lot, um, but how do they affect our day-to-day life? And so he's got a short chapter on 12 different doctrines and then a longer chapter on each of those about how they affect our life. So real quick, let's, re- let's refresh. What is doctrine? It's teaching. Teaching. Good. Uh, and specifically, we're talking about Christian teaching, right? We're talking about God's truth 
uh, that helps us understand who he is uh, and, and understand what his creation is and how the two uh, are supposed to relate to each other, right? Uh, and, and like I said, we're not focusing so much um, on these doctrines per se as much as how they should affect our day-to-day life. Now, we've gone over these doctrines and we will again. Um, we're, we're doing a series on, on how the Word of God affects our today to day life. Uh, Gary, uh, last year or the year before, I, I'm losing track of time, uh, did a, a, a two-part uh, extended series on, on the doctrine of God's word, bibliology, you know, it's inerrant and all of these things. We, we, we're not afraid to go over those, but we, this series is more to just say, okay, how does that affect our day-to-day life? Uh, I don't mean to say those doctrines aren't important at all. Uh, they are. Today, we want to finish looking at the doctrine of Scripture. I started that a few weeks ago, and the first time, what we focused on was how God's Word renews our mind, how it changes the way we think, okay? Uh, it, it teaches us to see the world as it really is. It humbles, it comforts, it strengthens with grace. That's what we saw. Today, we want to turn and say, how does it direct our steps, how does it guide uh, our lives? Uh, and today, um, we want to look at what it, what it means that the Bible is meant to be followed, that it's meant to be obeyed. Uh, we want to see uh, what kind of benefit the Bible has for how we live. That's where we're headed today. And so as we do that, I want to, point, I want to show you that the Bible uh, warns, protects, and rescues. And I'll explain what I mean by those. And then we'll see that it, it confronts and it convicts. And I, I've chosen both of those words for a reason. They are different. And then finally, we'll see how it guides, motivates, and strengthens. But really, if I had to sum all of these things up together, and I hope you all have the handout, it's over on the table. If I, really, if I had to sum it all up, it might be something like this. The Bible protects and rescues us from ourselves. The Bible protects and rescues us from ourselves. That's really uh, how I might summarize our lesson today. So let's start with God's word warns, protects, and rescues. Warns, protects, and rescues. Uh, what does it warn us about? Consequences of sin. Consequences of sin. Good. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how the world will attack our faith, right? Absolutely. What else? Okay. Eternal issues, right? Absolutely. It warns us uh, of coming judgment. Good. Other things? Sean? Okay. How is that a warning? Yeah, what does it warn us? We'll get there. It is a warning in a sense because if you don't submit it to that way, then you Okay, so it warns us of the futility or, or the hopelessness of depending upon ourselves. Okay, good. Good. Mm-hmm. Dave? could also be a warning. I'm thinking more in terms of how we lead and guide the church. It may warn us when our, what we're teaching or, or 
Right. It, it warns us about not just false doctrine, but the dangers of false doctrine. Really about all lies, right? It warns us uh, about believing the lies of the devil, the lies of the world, right? The lies of false teachers. Good. I like that. Warns us about temptation and putting ourselves in compromising situations, right? Uh, it warns about, the, us, about that way that seems right, but it leads only to death. Uh, who's ever uttered the words, don't say I didn't warn you? Anybody? <laughs> Liars. Come on. All right. Okay. A few honest people. Okay. Uh, what do we mean by that when I say, don't say I didn't warn you? I don't know. I just say it. Oh, come on, people. Engage me a little bit. All right, Matt. Typically, that something bad has happened to us, and we're trying to tell somebody, you know, so that they don't do the same thing. Right. Like, I've told you that this is a bad road, and you seem bent on going down it. This can't end well. I'm washing my hands of this because I did my duty. I warned you, right? I, when this goes badly, don't say, well, no one warned me, right? Uh, yeah. It, <laughs> don't pretend you didn't know any better is the idea, right? When you see someone doing something dumb that can only hurt them, our instinct is to warn them, right? Uh, and so it starts early. Don't run out into that street, the car's going to win, right? Or um, don't touch that hot stove. It, it's going to burn you. Uh, don't chase after that boy or that girl. That is clearly trouble, right? Um, we do this. Be- Why do we warn? We, we warn because we're made in the image of a God who warns. Think of how he warned Israel when they cried out for a king. We want a king just like all the other nations. And he sends Samuel. And what does Samuel say? Do you realize what all the other nations' kings do? They tax them. They make them uh, do these huge work projects. They take all their young men to serve in the army. They go out to, like, this is what you want? This is what you think is great? Um... You know the sad part about that? It really is. You think your kids and grandkids and all this kind of stuff. Is you tell them, and you know what the results are. Of course. And they just poof it off like it's nothing. They do. And then later, years later, like Brenda, she comes to the Lord and says, Wow, I was really a jerk. (laughs) Right. And, 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 And we feel that way. Now... For full disclosure, how did we learn what all those things would do? They're not doing it. <laughs> well, I wish I could say I learned by not. But a lot of times I learned because I didn't listen to my parents and or the Lord. And then I get hurt, I get burned. And I go, oh, they were right. So you turn around to your kids and you're like, my parents were right. Don't do it. Experiences. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's the only teacher we'll listen to. There are better teachers. Yeah. Um, God warned them about the king, but 
Think about the first warning. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. You will die. Yeah, I don't know. Right? What's happened? We're naked, we're ashamed, and we're dying. Don't say I didn't warn you, right? God warns. And, and, and we warn, not just because we're made in God's image, but we warn to protect. We warn because we love. We, we warn to help. And that's what the Bible does. And that's what I mean when I say that the Bible not only warns, but it protects. Its warnings are protection. Uh, to protect, it protects us by, by giving us boundaries. What are boundaries? Okay, areas like that, that you're free to be in, not outside of. So when your kids are young, you can play between the fence and that tree. Why? Because I can see and hear you if you need me, if you're between the fence and the tree. You go beyond that, I can't see, I can't hear, I can't help, right? Um, Boundaries designate a place that's safe, that you can have freedom within, Right, but outside of that is dangerous, uh, and they're, they're meant to keep you out of danger. Uh, when we're young, we think that there's a battle between our parents and us because they're, we think they're trying to ruin our lives and our fun. But in reality, they're just trying to keep us safe. They're trying to protect us from danger, and ultimately protects us from ourselves. Um, why did my parents tell me not to climb on the roof when I was four? Because I was not smart enough not to jump off. They were ultimately protecting me from me. And then I climbed and jumped off. Okay. Uh, They were trying to protect me from me, right? But we confuse sometimes danger for freedom. And, and true freedom actually only exists within the right boundaries, right? And the classic example of this is the fish, right? You take the fish out of the pond and you stick it, you know, because the pond is small and it's constrained. And we think freedom is to set it free from the pond. What happens when I set the fish outside of the pond? Have I set it free? No, I've sentenced it to death. Right? We could see the, say the same thing about the earth. Well, the earth is bigger than a pond, but it's still small compared to space. What happens if I take you off earth and I put you in space? Have I set you free? No, there's no air up there. Outside of the proper boundaries, you're not free. You're dead. Um, true freedom only exists within the right boundaries where you're created to exist and live. Again, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's, it, it only leads to death. That, that thing that we think is freedom is death. Um, and so you can't always trust yourself to know what is right. And so God's word is there to protect you uh, from your own folly, your own ignorance, and your own sinful desires. With, without a deep understanding of God's word, if I can turn it around this way, you will go places that can only mean destruction. Without a deep understanding of God's word, things will seem right, but they aren't. But, but you, even if you search out God's warning and, and his protective boundaries, there will be times where you still wander past the safe zone into that place of folly, into that place of danger. And, and the beautiful truth is, is then 
that with each warning or boundary comes an invitation um, to confess and be forgiven when you go past it. Uh, And so God's word rescues as well. It warns, it protects, but all is not lost when we we mess up because it also rescues and brings us back. Uh, One example, and there's so many I could pull from scripture, but one of my favorites is Joel 12, uh, sorry, Joel 2, 12 to 14. I I love this. I, I can't read this verse enough times, these verses. Yet even now, right? In other words, Wouldn't you say, yet even now, when you've already blown it, right? (laughs) Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and tear your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows? Whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I love that. Who knows? Maybe in the place of cursing, he'll leave a blessing for you. When you return to him, when you, he rescues. When you're tempted and you fall into sin, the Bible calls you back. It doesn't say all is lost. It rescues you. And that's, that's the great thing is, is it tells you not to go down that road. It tells you where it's safe to play and where it's dangerous to play. And then when you cross that boundary, it calls you and reminds you it's not too late, yet even now, come back, return, and be forgiven. We need the Bible to tell us those things. Right? Um, so that's the first thing. God's word warns, protects, and rescues. Uh, The second thing it does is it confronts and convicts. Um, So let's talk for a second about what goes on in our minds when we pursue sin. What games do we play when when we're interested in doing something that we know is wrong? We play... Okay, we justify it, right? And what are some ways we justify it? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big... Nobody will find out. Okay, good. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we play the comparison game, right? Good. What else do we do when we're pursuing sin? Uh, Charlie. Presume upon the grace of God. God. What does that mean? I can always repent. God God likes to forgive sinners. I like to sin. What a great relationship, right? Right. Um, What else do we do? Who don't we talk to? When we want to sin? Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> we stop praying? Good. Is that the only one we stop talking to? Probably other people that are close to you. Wise people we avoid, right? Godly people, right? What don't we pick up as often when we're interested in our sin? Why? Because it's convicting. Right? We, we, we avoid counsel. We justify. We stop reading our Bibles. We convince ourselves that no one really understands. No one really cares. What are we trying to do at that time when, we're, when we do all those things? 
Hmm? Fig leaf. Fig leaf. Trying to cover, right? Good. Yeah. We're trying to make ourselves comfortable with our sin, right? Um, who knows what it means to become callous to, to sin? Hardened, right? A callous on your, your hands, your fingers. You, uh, and when you get your skin gets hardened, you don't feel things as much, right? We talk about a callous conscience where conscience doesn't really feel bad about as much, right? Uh, it means that we, we get comfortable with that sin and less sensitive to God's word. And we can, we can the Bible says, ultimately grow blind to sin. Hebrews twelve or Hebrews three, uh, we go we go comfortable with doing what's wrong, and spiritual blindness is not always obvious to the blind, so it needs to be pointed out. And God says, uh, God is willing through His Word to point it out. He's willing to say that is wrong, and it needs to change. Uh, that's James 1, 22 to 25, that, that God's word tells us what needs to change. Uh, and that's what I mean when I say God's word confronts. It is willing to say, what you're doing is wrong. Stop. But confrontation by itself isn't enough. What's the difference between confrontation and conviction? Right. Confrontation is external. Conviction is internal. Right? Uh, conviction is when your own heart is accusing you and saying that's wrong. Right? Um, without conviction, confrontation falls on deaf, deaf ears. Conviction is about the heart and a desire to do what is good and what is right. And the Holy Spirit uses God's word to convict our hearts. To say, isn't this true? Doesn't this bother you? To impress upon us who we are as as his people, as his possession. Who we're called to be, that we're called to be defined by who God is. And and how we're to love what he loves. A a, a Christian should desire a sensitive heart, not a calloused heart. A a, a Christian um, wants... To be uncomfortable with sin. And time away from God's word will let your heart grow calloused. Time in God's word will help your heart be sensitive. So if God's word warns, protects, and rescues. If it if it confronts and convicts, the last thing we want to see is uh, today is that it, it guides and motivates and it strengthens. Uh, let's talk about what I mean it, it, that it guides. Uh, has anybody noticed life is a little hard? Just me? Okay, thanks, Elaine. At least one person. Okay, so we can talk. Everybody else, you can just ignore me for a little while. But we have a lot of hard decisions. Marriage, careers, 
uh, where to live, what church to join, uh, what kind of home to buy, on and on it goes. We, we wrestle with tough decisions. Um, and, and we can often feel like we're in the dark. Uh, do I go left? Do I go right? Uh, do I stay? Do I go? Uh, should I speak or should I close my mouth? And, and God's word doesn't come along and say, oh, marry this person, take this job, buy this house, join this church. So what does it do? If God's word doesn't, you know, if it's not the sky writing, you know, you know, Mary Jen, right? How does God's word shape the way we think? There are general principles that we're to Okay, it gives us principles, right? Um, don't marry a non-believer, right? Good. Okay, it gives us principles, right? What else? I think you're right, but I think it does more, and I want to push a little bit deeper. Charlie. It gives us a perspective. It puts this world in its place. shows us where our hope truly lies. And so the principles themselves cut through the temporal. Mm-hmm. That's not skywriting. Right. It tells you how to prepare yourself for glory. That is eternal presence with Christ. Okay. Through the gift that you've been given and the striving in that gift. Okay. So it teaches you how to think, how to see the world. I just think. But um, it doesn't just deal with your thoughts, it deals with the consequences of those last two. Okay. Right. Okay. It's, it's fully boring. Sure. It's, it's you know, your thoughts, your words, your feelings. Okay. It's all life. Right. It's just, you have to be a citizen of heaven. Okay. So, how does it help us make decisions out in light of that? Uh, um, so, so, the question is if God doesn't tell us, marry this person, go to this, you know, take this job, buy this house, whatever. Um, how is what you're saying help us make those decisions? Because he, he, he teaches you how to think axiomatically, which affects those. Okay. He, he touches on the bottom of things. Okay. To give rise to life. Okay. So, so I know everybody was thinking, obviously God teaches us to think axiomatically. I'm picking on you. <laughs> he teaches us principles. Would that be a fair way to, to wrestle with things? Yeah. Okay. He teaches us how to how to weigh things by what's more important versus less important. He teaches us that Christ is the beginning. Okay. So I mean that that is he is the principle, the truth. Okay. Right. And so in you know Christ is all in all. From him do we. I appreciate that, but but this isn't a doctrine class. It's in the real life, so I'm going to push you deeper. I think you're right, but I'm, I'm trying to push you. How does, if Christ is the, would you say, the first thing, the real thing? He is the first thing. He is the first thing. How does that affect my decision on who I marry? Oh, um, I mean, that's, that's a decision that's down the chain a little bit, right? Like, first, he, he, he addresses marriage and the gift that is marriage, right? Like, he doesn't necessarily directly say marry Sarah, but the scriptures do talk about having a spouse that loves the Lord. Okay, there you go, right? When I think about who I want to marry, what kind of wife does the Bible tell me to look for? What kind of husband? Somebody who loves the Lord. 
someone who's going to challenge me when I sin and encourage me when I do well, someone who reminds me of God's grace, right? It teaches me to look for those things, not a specific person, but a kind of person, right? That's how the Bible helps me make those decisions, right? It does also teach us how to think. It teaches us how to, th- well, that is how to think, right? Well, like, I'm thinking in the context of Philippians 4, you know, think on these things. Yes. Think about what's pure, what's lovely, what's honorable, what's true. Like, these are the things I value. So that matters when I decide where to live, right? If I can make more money at this job or be a part of a good church at this job, what does the Bible tell me is more important, yep. right? So often pastors here, you know, people leave and they're like, I, I took this, I got this great job, we got this big house, we got this land, but there's no churches around here. Can you come plant one? You're like, are you just starting to think about that question now that you're already moved? Where was that in your decision process, right? What led you there, right? Or I'll talk to people who are like, oh, I got this job offer, but there are no churches here. I can't imagine taking my family. Oh, that's what's guiding your decision-making, right? Um, The Bible is what teaches us how to weigh those kinds of decisions. What's most important? Steve. Yes. Why do I want this land? Why do I want this decision? What is our true intention? Right. Yeah. One of the best things we can ask ourselves is what's driving me there? And, and if God's word isn't playing into that decision at all, other things are. Right? God's word is a light in a dark world that gives us a perspective on each and every situation that helps us make a decision with God's priorities and his principles and his um, objects of devotion in mind. That's how God's word guides us. Not with direct words of revelation, not with signs, but shaping the way we think his thoughts after him. That's how he guides us. And if we're honest, life is like a marathon, not a sprint. And we can lose steam and we can grow tired or we can grow lazy. We can become discouraged. We can, we can lose our first love, our, our, our passion that, that once drove us in our pursuit of God. So what is it that breathes new life into weary souls? Dave? God's Word. God's word. Because it, it's being reminded of God's goodness. Uh, being reminded of God's love. It... it being reminded of his promises and his perspective. Um, I 
on the structure. Hmm. House of Cards doesn't stand, but a building that has a solid foundation, a well-built structure underneath it, whatever you put on the outside um, will look good. What really matters is the structure. Okay, that's an illustration in my sermon. Dave, we're in Sunday school right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, you're, you're, and it applies. Of course it does. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with you. But I'm going to get there when we look at Psalm 92 in just a few minutes. But the groundwork is absolutely essential. The foundation keeps everything Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, don't, we don't need pep talks. We don't need motivational speeches. We need a heavenly perspective. Uh, a, a reminder of the things that, that we can't see except through God's word. If you want motivation... To do what you know should be done, you need to be in God's word regularly. Because, because the world is not going to motivate you to do what's right. It is not going to encourage you to do what's right. And being out of God's word, you are going to be absent uh, of that encouragement and that perspective that drives you to do what is good. God's word motivates us to do the right thing. Uh, and so what that means is, is God's word feeds and it strengthens the soul. And I know I use strengthen in, the, in, 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 in renewing the mind, but, but that's okay. Uh, we, God's word truly does strengthen the soul. Um, what image does the Bible regularly use for itself in life? There's an, it uses a metaphor about itself. Long for the word like a newborn baby longs for... Huh? Milk, right? Hebrews 5. Okay, you've been on milk for a while. You should be on solid food by now, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth. The Bible regularly uh, likens itself to food, right? Uh, Food is, is what gives you strength to do all the things you want to do, the things you know you need to do, all right? If you know that you need to build a house, clean the yard, go to work, and you say, I've got so much to do, I have no time to eat, what's going to happen eventually? You're going to die, right? At least grow very weak and not do the things that you're trying to do. Food doesn't get you where you want to go, but you definitely won't get there without food. That's a difference, right? Um... And, and, and how often must food be eaten? Daily. Daily. More than once a day, right? Over and over. You, you can't read the Bible once and think that you've got what you need. And, and you don't need to eat anymore. Any, you can't do that any more than you can think that once you've eaten an amazing meal, anybody have one on Thursday, right? Right? I don't need to eat again. I had this feast on Thanksgiving. I'm good to go. I don't need to eat anymore. I ate back in 2022. You can't do that. 
if God is really the most important thing in your life, the Bible must be a major part of your life. Because it's there that you get to know him, find his perspective, his strength, his comfort, and his love to get through each day. And, and you, need to re, you need to be in God's word individually, and you need to be in God's word corporately. It's not enough just to come on Sunday. And it's not enough just to read privately. You need both. Um, sometimes pastors hear their congregation say something like, it's so frustrating. I don't get as much out of God's word as the pastor gets on Sunday or, or, or whatever. Something like that. What do you guys think of that? I think it's nonsense. Okay. If our heart is in the word, mm-hmm. God's going to fight his Holy Spirit's going to feed us every day. He's going to feed Okay. I agree. Sean? There may be, there may be situations where the pastor's study brings more light to the passage okay. than you might study yourself, but it's God's word. Okay, good. I like that distinction right there. Thanks, Gary. Sean? I think this is one of those epidemics that to inform people the most. They, <clears throat> most pastors preach from very intellectual and less of a um, bridge between how that's supposed to transform your life. So the congregant will easily then gravitate towards that intellectual give you the facts instead of seeing the change message that is being preached okay 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 sometimes that theological depth isn't what somebody needs if I'm if I'm summarizing you correctly then it needs to be brought down to a very boots on the ground this is how it comforts and challenges me Okay, good. I saw a hand over here. Yes, Michelle. I, I think reading God's Word takes practice, and it might be hard to read when you're a new believer, a young believer. Mm-hmm. But the more you are daily in it and through the hard times and the good times and joy and blessing and hardship and darkness, you just keep going back, and God, like Gary said, God's Word will, will some, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. It'll speak to you. Right, yeah. Absolutely, I agree with all of these things, right? Uh, Charlie? I was going to say, in the attempt of balance, preaching God's word takes practice too. Mm. The pastor comes out fully formed. It's a process of learning how to relate to your congregation and mature in God's word yourself. And so there's, there's a balance there. Sure. I wouldn't necessarily just immediately fall somebody who's saying, maybe this isn't what it could be because there might be more to that than just, well, you're the problem. Right. And they're trying to grow in God's grace and preaching the world all the time. It's a very difficult thing to do. We're, we're, we're all on a journey, your pastor included. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and quite frankly, um, yeah. Uh, sometimes the most eloquent speakers aren't listening to what they're preaching, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Michelle? Mm-hmm. Instead of just sitting and having a, I would say, natural 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you're getting into the sermon, but that's okay. I'm going to forgive you. Uh, we're we're going to go there in, in a few minutes. No, you're, but you're right. And, and, and as God often does, Sunday school and worship are fitting kind of hand in glove. Um, just that's how in God's providence it worked out. And so, but we do, uh, it, God, God's word is not a Red Bull, <laughs> right? And we need to stop treating it like it is, you know. Um, it, it, it's food. But let me take this analogy a bit deeper. Um, we go to restaurants sometimes. And we go, you know, on nice special occasions. Sometimes it's because I don't want to cook. And sometimes it's because I want to go pay a trained chef to make something exquisite. It's a treat, right? But who goes home and says, I'm not going to eat today. I can't cook like that, chef. I'll just wait until we go out again next year. (laughs) Right? There are going to be times where you eat at the hand of somebody who cooks better than you. But that doesn't mean you don't eat between. Because you get nourished either way. Right? Um... I still need to eat every day, even if I can't cook as well, right? And so it is with, with, with you and God's Word. Daily time in God's Word will do more to sustain and strengthen you than you realize. Yeah, Elaine. Were you raising your hand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much you could do with that, you know. What you breathed in was good, but in you long enough it gets corrupted, and you need to breathe it out so you can breathe in something fresh again. Uh, that sustains your life. Uh, she says that you breathe out is you're confessing and you breathe in God's word to replace. Yeah, it's like breathing. It, it seems to me too that we need to approach God's word prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it has to start with prayer. Yeah. And I mean, when, when you go to eat somewhere, you are in a sense preparing yourself for that. Mm-hmm. You're saying, well, I'm going to not eat for a few hours and so that I can really enjoy the meal that's going to come. Um, and I, I think um, it's kind of different with God's Word, though. It's, it, it's more a matter of <clears throat> having a, a specific time maybe mm-hmm. to go, uh, spending time in prayer beforehand. Yeah, I, but yeah, just that prepared approach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie? Uh, I think it's also... Mm-hmm. Like if you go into your kitchen with your kids and you make yourself food and you sit down in front of them and eat it and well they look at you with longing, hungry eyes, right? God has given us his word, yes, for our own edification and sanctification. 
sanctification, but it's also to be participated among the saints together. Absolutely. So it's not just like obviously we're all very wary of calling it me and my Bible sort of thing that they often criticize and but it's like I love that family worship and all these things, reading God's word together as a family or with other brothers or sisters, that's how God's word was meant to be disseminated and shared. Yeah. I, I love that. The, fist, the feasting imagery, Christ never like ate by himself. It's always like he fed the 5,000 or he broke the bread and the disciples. <laughs> it's always with others. Yeah. So there are times where you have to eat alone. But if you always eat alone, something's missing, right? Food is meant to be communal. So you, you have a family meal, but then you also have uh, friends over and you have fellowship meals, right? Um, and I like that. And that's true biblically, right? You read individually, you read as a family, and you read as a church. Uh, and and, and that, that communal aspect allows other people to bring things out and into your life. Uh, coming to church is, is a lot like, like going to a restaurant. It's a prepared, I mean, I, I, that sounds crass, and I don't mean it that way. I just mean it's a prepared meal. Right, you're you're being fed something that somebody has taken a lot of time to prepare, um, and that's a blessing. That's a gift, but that doesn't mean you go home and you stop eating. Right? Um, we need the Bible because we need it to warn and protect and to rescue us. We need it because it it will confront and it will convict us, and and we need it to guide and motivate and strengthen us. That's what the Bible does in our daily life. And if we are not in it regularly, it won't be doing those things. It won't be doing those things. Um, we, again, we can talk all we want about inerrancy and, 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 and how the canon was formed or recognized. We can do all those things and then that's, it has its place. But if that doesn't translate into it being prized and cherished in our lives in each and every day, feeding our souls, we're going to miss out on what it's for. Food can be beautiful. The presentation of food can be amazing. But that's not what it's intended for. You're supposed to eat it and feed upon it. Um, and we want to make sure uh, that we're feeding on God's word. Uh, we're at time, so I'm going to pray. If you guys want to keep chatting afterwards, let me know. Um, grab a children's bulletin when you're done, because there's a great catechism verse there on how to read God's Word that it might be productive in our life. Uh, let's pray. Our, our gracious God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you uh, that it protects us ultimately from ourselves, our, our sinful desires, our, our, our corrupted hearts, the ways that seem right to us. May we indeed know your ways and may we with sensitive hearts long to be conformed more and more to your truth in how we think and how we live. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.